Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, November 16th, 2018. And today we are reading from the big book. We are currently on page 157, starting with the seventh paragraph, which starts the two friends spoke. And we're going to read through three paragraphs, ending with fight this booze racket alone. And we're going to comment on all all the paragraphs. So today's readers, we have Lauren N. on the 12 steps, and we have uh, Bonnie M. on the 12 traditions. And the readers of the text are Lynn S., Lisa B., and uh, the reference number for yesterday, which is Thursday, November 15th, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, that's 12,186. That's 12186. And for the 10 a.m., uh, meeting, it, it's uh, 12,187. That's 12187. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. And there are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, and that is to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can indeed recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So now, um, Lauren N., would you be kind enough to read the 12 steps Good morning, Larry. This is Lauren. Good morning. I am here to read the 12 steps. We, one, we admitted we were powerless over food and our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that the, a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me do service.
Thanks, Lauren. Appreciate that. Hey, Bonnie M., do we still have 12 traditions? I think there's still 12. <laughs> Good morning, Bonnie. And Bonnie, press star one if you would. Hi, good morning. Yep, there's 12 traditions. Um, number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OE unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communications. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thanks, I'm done. Thanks so much, Bonnie. Okay, here's how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. What we do is we read a paragraph or two or so from, from the literature, then we stop and share on what was read, and anyone can share. You don't, you don't need any special criteria to share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes um, you'll hear something like, <clears throat> uh, if you go over that, singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And of course, we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. Now, if you'd like to share, press star one to unmute your phone. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one again to mute your phone. Um, no speaker phones, if you would. We, we hear an echo if you, if you do that. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we are, we're going to resume our study uh, in the big book, and we are currently on page 157, starting with the seventh paragraph, which starts, the two friends spoke. And Lynn's going to read through three paragraphs. It ends with fight this booze racket alone. And then we're going to comment on all of those. So Lynn, good morning. Lynn S. Good, good morning, Larry. This is Lynn S., a recovered compulsive reader in Toronto, Canada. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience. 
and told him about the course of action they carried out. He interrupted, I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it. I've prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by nine o'clock I'd be boiled as an owl. Next day found the prospect more receptive. He had been thinking it over. Maybe you're right, he said. God ought to be able to do anything. Then he added, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. This uh, reading brought back so many memories. They just were flooding into me, and I'm going to try and really be concise because I want to get to the point. Um, I remember the day I came into OA, I remember standing in my kitchen and I was cutting up carrot and celery sticks and putting caraway seeds in two ounces of cottage cheese because it was Tuesday and that was lunch there because it said so on a piece of paper. And I remember I had these Demi Moore ghost tears coming down my face and I'm saying, it can't be that God looked down and said, I want the whole world to be happy except for you, Lynn Skilling, and I want you to be miserable. I said, I can't live like this anymore, and I can't eat like this anymore. I just can't do it. And uh, I remember coming into OA, and my first meeting wasn't uh, all that thrilling. Everybody was still heavy. Everybody was in therapy. And I thought, I remember driving home thinking, dear God, what's going to become of me? Which really surprised me because uh, I had no God connection at all. But uh, overnight I got zapped somehow. And um, the point I want to make here really is my life totally changed. I had asked God to help me sleep through the night and not pick up food. And I did. First time ever, no gravel to knock me out, no binge foods in the passenger side of the bed so I could uh, keep myself numbed out. But I actually slept through the night. And, and that was my God experience. And what the difference was between that and anything else that ever happened to me, all the waning and moaning and bargaining with God, and God, please, if I don't get weight, when I get weight at the doctor, I'll do anything you want. God, please help me. And you know, as I'm lying there and smothered in cheesecake, God, please don't let me eat this. The difference was I just didn't wail and moan to God, and I just didn't have this aha moment. I took the course of action. Like after that, I got involved in the program. I took the course of action, which are the steps, and I did them to the best of my ability, the way they are outlined in our book. And that's what made the change. I am so grateful that we're able to talk about it here. We're able to see it. It's not just that flailing to God and waiting for something to happen, but it's following these divine directions outlaid in black and white in our book in the first 164 pages that have given me the life I have now. And with that, I am so grateful. And I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lynn. Appreciate that. Okay, so again, if you're just joining us, we're uh, Lynn read uh, from page 157. Uh, she read through three paragraphs, and we're going to share. We're going to try something a little different. Um, I only want to hear from people who have a pulse. So if you have a pulse, I double dog dare you to, to, to chime in here. Who would like to share? Nancy Mara. Nancy. Nancy. 
Anita Harlan, B. Chrissy, Anita, Barbara, Barbara, Barbara. Celeste. Did I hear a Celeste? Simma. Simma. Lisa B. Okay. And then Lisa B. Let's limit it there. Let me tell you who I have. And I don't know if I'm hallucinating again, which often happens to me. Um, I don't know if I heard a Celeste, but here's who I heard. Um, I got Nancy, Harlan, Chrissy, Anita, Barbara. If there is a Celeste in my head, she's on. Sima and Lisa. So let's start with someone from Chicago. Yay, Nancy. Good morning, hey. Nancy. Hey, good morning, Larry. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, you're coming through great. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. And um, I'm Nancy Ira. I, I really uh, got excited this morning uh, at this reading because uh, uh, my, my dad was a, was a minister. And uh, when I came into the program and they were talking about uh, finding God, I just sort of uh, poo-pooed that because I, I knew I, you know, I said, I got this down. I was raised in a parsonage and uh, spent all my life in church, so I've got this. This should not be difficult. But years and years of struggle in this program led me to uh, an understanding that I didn't have a relationship with God. No one could have told me that. What I had was a lot of religion. Oh, I had lots and lots of religion. But uh, this disease beat me into submission. And on page, um, in studying the book, on page 45, it says, like a power was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And, and the next paragraph, it says, well, exactly, well, that's exactly what this book is about. The main object of this book is to enable us to find a power greater than ourselves, which will solve our problem. All the time, I thought that my main objective was to find a way to lose weight and keep it off. But that's not what this program is about. This program is to enable, has enabled me to find a power greater than myself that has not only solved my food problem, my eating disorder, but it has, uh, it has uh, given me a design for living, a way to live life on life's terms, uh, which religion did not give me. Uh, fortunately, it's enabled me to have a, uh, a deeper appreciation of my religion. And, uh, but, but more importantly, I have a true working relationship with God, something I never found in church. Uh, there are some people who are able to do it. I wasn't able to, but thanks be to God that I have found a solution. And uh, thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Nancy. Okay, we got Harlan followed by Chrissy. Now pitching, Ken Holtzman. Holtzman. I hey, love Marlon. Kenny Holtzman. Number 30. <laughs> he used to come in on the weekends from National Guard and pitch for the Cubs. I knew you'd Not know his number. <laughs> oh, I know his number, number 30. Don't ever, don't ever play Trivial Pursuit with that kid. They'll kill you. Larry, thanks for your service. I'm Harlan G., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. How do we find God by my... 40 years of observation, it'll be 40 years, February 2nd, so 39 and change. How do I find God? Uh, by trying every wrong answer imaginable, I come upon the right answer, but there is something about my human ego that says I must try every wrong answer before I come to the right answer. And 
my teacher, he tells me that he had always believed in a power greater than himself. He had, he had often pondered these things. He says, I was not an atheist. Few people really are, for that means blind. I'm, I'm on page 10. Blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher. A cipher is zero, is, is empty set, and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists suggested vast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. How could there be so much of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone. And on the next page, I'll paraphrase. He sees Ebby Thatcher. Now God knew exactly who to send Bill. Dr. Silkworth tells me in the doctor's opinion that in order for the message to be carried, it must have depth and weight. Bill knew that Ebby was an alcoholic. There was no doubt. Bill often said, if I ever get to be as bad a drunk as Ebby, I'm going to quit. And Ebby would say, if I ever get to be as bad a drunk as Bill Wilson, I'm going to quit. So he knew that Ebby was an alcoholic, but there sat Ebby and he was sober. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. He shouted great tidings. It doesn't matter what I think about this war or this tragedy. I don't have explanations why people kill each other. I don't know. But here's what I know, and I know it as well as I know my own name. There are people on this line and people in the world that are compulsive overeaters with a permanent progressive and fatal illness that are released from their desire to eat compulsively and they are happy in their release. That is enough of a miracle for me. This is a disease. And the only solution I have is a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. And there is no other method of recovery. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thanks, Harlan. That bronchitis is it's gone. You sound good. All right. Okay. Uh, Chris, we have Chrissy followed by Anita. Hey, Chrissy, good morning. Good morning. Um, this is Chrissy G from New York. And um, I was, what was uh, really coming to mind for me this morning was the barriers that the the biggest barrier to blocking having the help, you know, why why couldn't I just with my mind hear hear the truth about my condition and then just not not pick up anymore? You know, why couldn't I problem solve this this riddle? You know, I, I would say, oh, it's because I can't I can't stop from picking up or I can't stop from restricting because uh, this, this, and this is happening in my life. And then I would change those things to see if that would help and it wouldn't help it. So all of my best ideas, my best thinking, they were the biggest obstacles to me accessing the power to overcome my difficulties. My true difficulty was my mind, my thoughts and ideas, and especially the behavior of fixating on a problem. You know, when I was when I was in problem solving mode, and when I get there today, I know that I'm not in a good place. Because we, when when you live, um, my experience, 
empowered by the sunlight of the spirit, then it's you relax and you take it easy. But in the beginning, it's like, how do you, how do you, how did I access that power originally? What it turned out is when I, I really ignored my own thoughts, my own ideas, my own, my own problem solving uh, strategies, and I was completely open to receive. And I received it from other people. And then later on, I started to receive from, from with, within me. I was connected to this source. As long as I kept that circuit going around, I had, it was connection between me, other people, and God. And then I'm plugged in and I get, I get that circuit. So it's about doing the steps with the recovered sponsor, reco- uh, sponsoring other people trying to recover, and it goes round and round. And then that just extrapolates in the rest of my life, that, that collaboration and, and not being you know, my, my God, my higher power, allows me to access power. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Chrissy. Okay, we have Anita followed by Barbara. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, Anita B. from New Jersey. Uh, When I first came to the program, I really thought that I had that part of the program. I was uh, Catholic all my life. I went to Catholic school. I married a Catholic man. I go to church all the time. And, you know, I started to wonder why then can't I recover Um, So I started to question all that, but it really wasn't until I really started to study these steps completely, each word, and then I think the turning point for me is in the big book where it says God is or he isn't. And I know there's a God, so he's everything or he's nothing. And for me, he is now everything, which I got from working these steps and believing and trusting in him and now I can trust him with everything um and my food which was probably the last thing I wanted to trust him with you know I thought I could do this I thought there were things I was supposed to do on my own as a strong person as a as a religious person but I can't do it alone uh, so so I'm grateful for all of you in this phone line so thanks for letting me share Thanks so much, Anita. Good morning, Barbara. Hey, Barbara. Uh, Good morning, Larry. Can I be heard? Yes, you're coming through great. Uh, Fantastic. Okay, I'll set my timer, and we're off and running. All right. In in these paragraphs, um, Bill has not been visited for three consecutive days, so he still has the booze in his body. They would come back to him for three days, but this was only day number two, which was what we read today. He was more ready to accept um, what they were saying, but he wasn't yet ready to direct, to accept the direction of, of his creator. And he will be, but not yet. And that's really where I was when I came into OA. Yes, I was willing to pick up the tools, but I really did think I could control my eating on my own. The insanity was I'd failed over and over and over again. I did horrible things. I left my little kids alone in their crib to get in my car and drive uh, to get food. 
I, I was driving while eating, pulled over by the police, gaining and losing weight over and over. And yet, it never occurred to me that I needed something more. I was isolating, feeling hopeless. I couldn't get right with myself. I was too stupid to get any other kind of program. Bill D. thought the same way I did. And once he got his drinking under control for months, he'd be all fixed up. That's what I thought. The bad news, he and I were told we had to learn the hard way. And the hard way for me was to try that drinking eating experiment, going out over and over again and learning that I couldn't pick up the food. So finally, I had to accept that I needed a higher power that I didn't think I believed in, but I needed something outside of myself, outside of the rooms, outside of my sponsor to help me, to have my back. And this program of action did it for me. I had to make the decision to turn my will and my life over to God and go along with the program just as it was written. I finally came to the decision to do it. I've been in program for two decades, lost 11, 11 dress sizes, and I am living free of the desire to compulsively overeat. I'm a much easier person to be around. I believe in patience, tolerance, and justice for all. My religion is the religion of kindness. That comes from the Dalai Lama. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. I pass. Thanks, Barbara. Okay, now Betty, Sima, followed by Lisa B. Sima, good morning. Oh, Sima, oh, Sima, we want to from you. Good morning, Sima. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? Uh, okay, Larry, how are you? Um, this is Sima M. from New Jersey, grateful, compulsive, overeater, living in recovery. Uh, what struck me about this paragraph, or these couple of paragraphs, is that um, he was curious, but he was arguing with them. And this is what happens all the time. It's like, yeah, but, yeah, but that worked for you, but, but, but. And that they just kind of left him. And they left it at that, which is often what I don't do or what a lot of people don't do is we keep arguing with the person saying, no, you don't understand. This works, this works, this works. And they they let him uh, stew a little bit more. And he thought about it. Um, I never realized it when I read these paragraphs before. But um, that time that he had to just sit and mull it over and think about, well, maybe I shouldn't be arguing. Maybe I should actually try what they're talking about. Maybe I should have an open mind. So um, that's what I got out of this reading today. And thank everyone for sharing. And I pass. Thanks so much, Simma. Okay, before we open it up to more stuff, we got... Um, the lovely Lisa B. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, the word that jumped out for me in the reading is receptive. 
And um, that means open-minded, welcoming, approachable. And, you know, then I was thinking about in working with others how it says, um, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. And um, I've learned in trying to share this message with others that if there's not that attitude of receptivity, open-mindedness, they may need to be hurt some more. But you know what else really was on my mind when I heard this reading? And the word sincerity came up. And I know it's not in the reading, but I always hear this man in one of my um, meetings that I attend share, it's not the words of our prayers, but the sincerity of our heart. And, you know, sometimes I can be stuck on like a prayer, like the third step prayer or the serenity prayer or even the set aside prayer seven-step prayer, the 11-step prayer, and be really focused on those words and saying the words, but really it's the sincerity of my heart. And that's what I'm seeing in this reading is that um, he's receptive, but it really begins in that heart of a sincerity, you know, that I need God, I need God. And um, I also feel led to share this, that sometimes when I work with people that are ministers or um you know, someone in that in that position, it can be a little bit more challenging for them to get that, um, that, that, that this is not going to be it alone, that prayer and meditation is not going to be it, that if I am a true alcoholic, compulsive overeater, I must do the steps. And that's the other thing I wanted to share is I do look at a lot of other modalities to help me stay spiritually fit but if I leave the step work and the study of the big book and taking others through this big book and working with others that have that same first step as me I am going to pick up that that spirituality on its own won't do it for me I must have an understanding of that allergy of the body and the hopelessness and that I need this transformation this spiritual awakening, the psychic change. And, you know, the steps can solve all my problems. The big book tells me that. It will solve all my problems. And I love in the forwards how it talks about Dr. Bob, who had an understanding of the solution, but it wasn't until he got the understanding of what Dr. Silkworth presented, the allergy of the body and the hopelessness. It's always that hopelessness. And I just wanted to share the opposite of receptive would be um, unconcerned, um, unwilling, unreceptive, cold, you know, and that, that's always good for me to remember that if I'm starting to display those things or talking with someone that is displaying that, they might need some more time and more information, more proof for themselves. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa B. Okay, um, where are we reading from? Page 157, the seventh, seventh paragraph through th- three paragraphs. If you've never shared, I dare you to share. I just dare ya. Okay, who'd like to share? Deborah E. Deb, Deborah. Ginger C. E from Iowa. A. Jen A. From Iowa? Who is from Iowa? I got you, Jen. Who is from Iowa? Leighton. Leighton? Jordan L. Nope. A and G from Maryland. Jeanette Jordan Pat. L. Leah M. Aaron from Livingston. Amy G. from Maryland. Here's who I have, and I, I've, I've just um, created a 10-step for somebody. I will guarantee it. I've got Deborah, Ginger, um, Leah, um, not Leah M, because Leah M came further down, Jen, 
And then Jeanette, Leah M, and Amy. I'm so sorry if I left you out there. Uh, I just couldn't put it all together. It's my age. It's my age. I know it. Okay, so let's start with Deborah, followed by Ginger. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your service. This is Deborah E. in North Carolina, recovered today, gratefully. And, um, oh, my goodness, these paragraphs are so powerful to me. They describe me exactly. I was one of those uh, ministers who, um, you know, for years my daily prayer was, um, God, please relieve me of this food problem. Um, And then I'd wake up every morning and, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't stop. Um, you know, God had removed my alcoholism. You know, I was working the 12 steps in another program, um, but I kept going over and over and over this thing with him. Um, you know, and it was, I wanted him to lift it. I wanted him to remove it. And the problem was I wasn't willing to cooperate with him. <laughs> you know, he was showing me I had food addiction. Um, he he was making it obvious. He was doing his part. I wasn't doing my part. Um, and it was only when I came to a place of surrender. You know, I had to surrender to his will, just like I do in everything else in my life. Um, his will is always best for me, but if I don't surrender and really accept that I have a problem, you know, for me, it came back to powerlessness. If I'm powerless, I've got to have this God of my understanding, and then I've got to turn my life and my will over to him. Uh, and then I work the rest of the steps on this and I get the freedom and recovery that I have today. And so I, you know, I can't do it with just God. I can't do it. God is, I believe our programs are divinely inspired. And, um, you know, I believe this is the the way he's given us. He's given us the steps that'll work for me um, if I just do them, if I do them. Uh, but this is how he, he gets me abstinent but more importantly, gets me to recovery and keeps me there. So um, very, very grateful for that. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Deborah. Okay, we got Ginger followed by Lori C. Or Lori E. Or Lori C. I can't remember which. Ginger, good morning. Hey, Larry. Good morning. Thank you for your service. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And uh, this top on 158, I've prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop. But by 9 o'clock, I'd be boiled as an owl. And I just hear the word repeat, like over and over and over. How many times did I binge my brains out the night before, waking up feeling so and I was done. I was through. I was never going to have another bite. And on page 34, it says, some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks, and I say always within minutes, because I woke up in that condition, swearing to never eat again, swearing to be through. And then I found myself in the Starbucks drive through ordering my breakfast of champions, which was always a frappuccino and cake pops. And that's how I started my morning. 
That was my breakfast. So, you know, um, I think the most two important questions that we ask on 42, and I'm just going to uh, sum it up, um, but do you see yourself as a real compulsive overeater? And are you really licked this time? Are you through? Are you really done? Are you out of ideas? Has it kicked you to the curb so badly that you're worried about your life? Because I was like this guy. I was found in the bed because of every beautiful bite. And thank God, again, for the research that I took because I was totally totally 100% convinced I was afraid for my life. I was sitting in that bed with 24 years of sobriety in AA, and I was more afraid of sugar than the bottle of vodka. And I felt like I was drunk because I was. I was drunk on food. I can get many effects, and I can get drunk on a lot of outside stuff. And the food was killing me. So thank God, because if you don't concede, if you're just tired and you're in some pain, you're never going to get this. You have to go from your head to your heart, and you have to be convinced. And then if you are, you put down the food completely, entirely, and then you get real busy. And then you do the possible, and God starts doing the impossible. And your life is going to take on a new meaning and new experiences that you haven't even dreamed of. So I hope today's pain is enough, because I will tell you, I have another final primal. I thought it was shot, or, uh, food. Money was my final drug that I've been working on lately, and I have not taken that elevator down to the bottom like I did with the food, and I am getting solvent in that program. So I think today's food can be enough research. You just got to get busy and you got to get into action because we're telling you that it works. This book is screaming that it works. And I pray that you get off the insanity of going any further because it will progress. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Ginger. Lori E. followed by Jen A. Hey, Lori, good morning. Hi, Larry. This is Lori E. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Wonderful. This is Lori E. from Iowa. Um, and just wanted to share, I, I heard the part that God ought to be able to do anything. And it just spoke to me so much this morning. And I remember when I went to my first meeting, you know, before that, I did believe God ought to be able in the big things in my life. And I, and I look back and I realize that um, while, I was, while I was asking, while I was pleading, for help with my compulsive eating, I certainly wasn't, wasn't giving it over to him and believing that God would, would take care of me and that God would, um, would relieve this problem in me. And, and for some reason, back when I went to that first meeting in January, I did. And I, I don't know why the day after was different. You know, I, I can only believe it's because I fully gave over to God that I believed that he would take this from me. And I don't understand it. Um, you know, I once had a spiritual leader who used to say, um, we can't try to make our brains bigger than God's. And I don't, you know, I, I wish I could understand every little bit of it, but I certainly can't. And I try not to make my brain bigger than God's. I just believe every day that he has lifted this obsession from me and he has for, for the past 10 months. And if I consider taking a bite or picking up in my mind, I feel like I'm saying, you know, God, you've been right for all these months, but today I've decided that you're wrong and I don't want to do that. So every day I'm going to believe that God is right um, and that he has lifted this from me, that he has shown me this program in my recovery and that he will again that day. And with that, I will pass. 
Thanks, Lori. Okay, we got Jen A followed by Jeanette. Um, what's up, Jen Jen? Good morning, Larry. This is Jen, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic from Colorado. Um, so I love this, right? These guys uh, talked to this gentleman um, uh, for two, two days later, you know, the first day, the second day, we're on the second day, and they bring in the idea of um, the spiritual experience uh, after a course of action, right? The 12 steps, the spiritual experience, if you know it wasn't the 12 steps then, but let's just roll with it, right? Okay, so um, my experience was exactly this. Um, you know, I sat in a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, and I had heard, um, but there were two women who came down um, from northern Colorado and sat across from a meeting from me, and I'll never forget the day, I'll never forget where I sat, I'll never forget the tears that ran down my eyes, because I continued to identify in with these ladies, because I sat in the rooms with them for a while, but what happened is, is that they came to me that time. They came um, to a meeting of, of Overeaters Anonymous where I regularly attended, and that was different. And they sat there and shared their experience, their strength, their hope, just like these last few paragraphs before we read today. And then they talked about the course of action that they took and the spiritual experience that happened as a result of that. And that's when I was like, wow, God can do it, right? God ought to be able to do anything is what it says in these paragraphs. And then read that next line with me because it says, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. Nope, God didn't do that for me when I was trying to fight it alone, right? Or at least I didn't think he was, but I was so blocked off from him. I didn't know God. I had shut the door on God. So when I leave the door open, when I leave my heart open to hear the things that others are saying in those rooms, then it becomes a we, not a me program, right? Again and again and again. And I love the instructions that were given to those women on page 89, and those are the instructions that are given to me. The practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as extensive work with another alcoholic. It works when all our activities fail. That's our 12 suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when all others fail. Remember, they are very ill. And then guess what happens? Life's going to take on new meaning, not only for these two gentlemen sitting there in this room, but also for the person who is, for me, right? Eventually, it's going to take on new meaning for me. And today, I see that it has. And I won't ever, ever, ever want to drop that feeling of that new meeting. So I'm going to continue to go out into those um, face-to-face meetings of Overeaters Anonymous and carry this message um, like my hair's on fire. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Jen. Okay, we have Jeanette followed by Leah. Good morning, Jeanette. Good morning, Larry. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're coming through good. Okay. Jeanette S., Recovered Compulsive Reader in Maybrook, New York, Snowy Beautiful, Maybrook, New York. Um, Today what struck me was the last line, when I was trying to fight this alone. Um, I just think that's really ironic, because if I'm trying to fight something alone, hello, of course nobody else is going to, come and interfere and try to help me and you know it's like it's like a what like a 13 year old i've got this mom i I can do it i don't need your help you know they all know everything when they're 13 so you know of course he didn't do much for him because he was fighting it first of all he was fighting it and he was doing it alone 
I just thought that was a hysterical sort of sentence there. Um, then in the first one, it says the course of action. Now, I'm sure those guys, when they were describing this course of action, there, was no, there wasn't anything about fighting in that course of action. So um, I just, these two, two paragraphs are just, you know, powerful for me because <clears throat> that's what I did was I fought it alone, alone, not even another person. I'm sitting there fighting it alone. I never even told anybody, let, let alone, you know, what craziness was going on in my head, let alone ask for help. Um, so I totally identify with this fighting it alone. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Jeanette. Okay, we have Leah M. followed by Amy G. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. Thanks so much for your service. He sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. Um, yeah, my world of self-reliance and self-sufficiency um, got me beaten and bloodied to a pulp. I was the architect of my own misery. I had destroyed myself, my life, um, under under my own hand, with my own hand, you know, under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. And I was beaten to a pulp, you know. Um, and if I continued to live that way, it was very clear that I was going to continue to live miserably and tortured, and I was going to die prematurely. This reading reminds me of a reading that always touches my heart on page 50, because I relate to it. It says, in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. There's no limit to God's grace, but was I going to cooperate by, with that grace? Was I going to listen you know, external con conditions was not going to be a remedy for an internal condition that I had, a spiritual malady, a soul sickness. I kept trying to rearrange the characters on the stage of my life and the situations and the conditions, and nothing, nothing brought me that peace that I so desperately clamored for in the bottom of cellophane bags and bakery boxes. There was not a spiritual part of the program that had to be opened up to me. It all had to be spiritual. I was licked. I was overwhelmed. I was overmatched by this disease. It was time uh, to lay down the ego and everything I thought about analysis of my life and decisions about my life, and I cried out for help. And as a result of that desperation and as a result of getting worn out, just worn out, this disease wore me out and it wore out the people who loved me. And as a result of getting a copy of this book and under the guidance of a man who, uh, who had been freed uh, by the same process and knew what he was talking about through his experience, and I performed the requirements in this book, and I'm grateful to announce to you today that I no longer live that way, and that is nothing less than a miracle. It certainly has very little to do with me and everything to do with cooperating with God's grace, love, and mercy. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. Amy G., come on. Good morning, Baltimore. I don't know the rest of it. <laughs> hey, Amy. <laughs> hey, 
Okay, Larry, good morning. Thank you, everyone, so much for such an awesome meeting and for your service. Larry, my name's Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. You know, I think what these couple of paragraphs are teaching us is that, you know, with what everyone has said, in addition, is like when I'm when I'm when a newcomer give, comes to me and wants to work with me. I mean, I don't have to go to a hospital to find someone or anything like that. I can walk into an OA room, and and the the reality of of when I present my story of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and the course of action that these instructions and these twelve steps require for recovery. There is a point where it's important to pause, and it and to let the the prospect really think about what it is they want to do and what they're going to choose to decide to do. And I love as we go through this progression of these couple of paragraphs, as others have said, where, you know, it's like he's interrupting and then he becomes more receptive. And if I scoot just a little bit ahead, it talks about on the third day, he completely turns his wellness life over to the program without any reservation. And I think at some point, you know, I, I knew I was powerless like this guy over food long before I stepped into my first OA meeting. And when the course of action was presented to me, I had to make a choice. You know, I was powerless over the food, but I wasn't powerless over the decision to surrender and choose to work this program of action. At some point, I had to make a choice, and only me, myself, and I can do that. I asked myself the question, am I who I say I am? Am I a compulsive reader? Am I powerless? Check, check, you know? So am I going to be willing to choose to surrender and follow the course of action as it is presented, i.e., put the food down and work the 12 steps. You know, and something happened with this guy between day two and three where a choice was made. And we all have to come to that, I believe. We all have to come to that decision. Am I who I say I am? Am I going to be willing to go to any length, even though it may sound crazy, even though I may not understand it all, even though I may not believe it all? Am I going to go ahead and act? Am I going to take the action? Am I going to follow instructions? Because there were people in front of me in whom the problem they said had been solved. And I love what someone said earlier and the fact that it's screaming that the results are here if I'm willing to take the action, if I'm willing to choose to surrender and get myself out of the way and everything that I knew and all my old ideas and do what it is that I'm told to do because you all are telling me it works. And I stand before you as well saying that it does work if we're willing to take to surrender, to choose that surrender and take the action. I'm so grateful for this program to save my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy. We probably have time for one more share. Um, who would like that spot? Vasa O. Vasa. Okay, Vasa, let's go with you and see if we have any time on the end of it there. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, Larry, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful recover compulsive overeater calling from Florida. And it's, I love to hear everybody share. And I can relate so much with all of you. I feel like there's nothing more I can say about the 12 steps or God or anything more. But again, I never thought I could ever, ever go to God for the food and I did come from a religious home, and I also grew up in a communist country. And my father was a pastor. He was a priest, Eastern Orthodox priest. And he was dealing with his own alcoholism. My mother's dealing with her food addiction. I, you know, again, I could have never, never put it down by myself. 
it's not like I didn't try. I tried over the years. And, yes, I was ready, and I was willing to admit I was powerless over the food. I didn't know it was an addiction. I didn't know it was, you know, eating disorder. But by the time I came, I felt like I had no choice. It's live or die Vasa. And I wanted to live because the food was just going to kill me. So, I, yeah, my sponsor that brought me uh, to the program, she 12-stepped me for about, for about a week before I came to the first meeting. And uh, I did not fight her. I was ready and I was open and I was willing and I had a hope. But I remember saying in my mind, you know, I've been trying to do this for 25 years of my life. How could God help me? Somehow I felt I needed to touch, to see, to believe, you know. Growing up in a, in a communist country, we thought there's no God in school, you know. And um, I believed, you know, I, you know, there must be not God, you know, because of things that happened in my life. I remember saying, well, there was God. Why would this, why is this happening in my life? What, you know, where is God? Well, I needed to be brought on my knees. I needed to surrender. My sponsor said the only way it's going to work, surrender to a power greater than, than yourself and the 12 steps and the program. And I was so willing and I was so ready. And I, yes. And this is the only thing that has worked for me. And this was the last stop. If this, I remember saying, if this doesn't work, that's it. I'm the last. I'm dead, you know. And I just want to give somebody else a chance. I'm running out of time. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thanks, Vasa. Who would like the final uh, minute or two? Melissa C. Hey, Melissa. Why don't you close us out here? Good morning. Hi. Great. Yeah. So, um, thank you. Good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, you know, yeah, I wasn't, um, God, what did God do for me when I was fighting this alone? Um, you know, that's my skewed perception because, um, you know what God did for me? God never left me alone. God kept shoving people in my face. Um, only I kept turning my back saying, you know, I, I got this, I got this, I got this. And, you know, why couldn't I get this on my own? Because I wasn't designed to do this on my own. That, you know, I'm a human being. We're social creatures. I was denying, like, the exact thing that makes me up, you know, that, that I'm supposed to live in a sense of community with other people. And, you know, makes me think about that, old story about the person that's, you know, drowning in a flood and God keeps sending, you know, a, a, a rescue. God sends like a, a truck and a boat and a helicopter. And like, what do you want? Like, what do you want God to do? And, you know, I'm realizing more and more every time that I am struggling with someone, something, um, and I let go of the struggle and I, yes, pray, and I take some action and I reach out to others, not, not just to complain, but to sometimes just to pray together. Um, God never leaves me alone. God keeps presenting me with everything I need. He keeps giving me everything I need to survive it. And, you know, yeah, the greatest of which was my food addiction that um, I fought alone since I was a little girl and, um, and I'm not fighting it today because I'm not meant to do it alone. Thank you. With that, I'll pass.
Thanks, Melissa. And, and thank you to everyone who has shared. And if you're on the line this morning, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Let me give you the share ID for today, Friday, November 16th, uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That uh, share ID is 12,190. That's 12190. And uh, the, uh, we're now going to close with the reading from the big book on page 164. We're going to follow that by the serenity prayer. Lisa B., are you available to read that? I am. Good Our morning. book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.